Hello again and welcome to the Master's Voice. I am Celestial and you are welcome to this channel. This is a part two video that is discussing aspects of sin, what sin is and what repentance is. So if you have not seen part one, I strongly recommend that you watch that before continuing with this one because this is a continuation of many ideas and many explanations that I pray that I covered well in the spirit of the Lord in part one. So part two is going to go straight into this examination of sin and what it is, what it costs us and why God strongly warns in the Bible that we are to stay away from it. So the focus of this video was the fact that I had a dream in the early hours of this morning. And in that dream, I received a letter from a man in Europe, a married man in Europe who was confessing that he had found the videos of the master's voice. And in watching them, he became aware that he is a person with sin in his life. And I understood God giving me this dream is not necessarily to say there is a real man, though I strongly believe based on previous things that God has done, that this email is definitely representing not one man, but many men and women in situations in their marriages or situations in family relations that lead them into sin. And in the first video, I actually shared a real life example um, of this exact type of email that happened quite recently where I am. And so you can also watch the first video and find out about that. But this man was sharing that he found the videos and it was through finding the videos and listening to them that he came to understand and become convicted of sin. And therefore he wrote this email sharing about an incident between him and his wife. And I have to say that I pray that this is something that is happening. I pray that as people find these videos, that they are becoming convicted of sin. I've shared in many of the videos that in our modern world, sin is a defunct discussion, meaning that nobody wants to talk about sin. No wants to, nobody wants to address sin in the church anymore because we have adopted other new, easier so-called methodologies that we think are better for leading people into repentance. So one of those things is we think that if we constantly speak love and teach love and work so hard at what people are craving nowadays, which is an accepting and a loving culture, it will bring people to repentance. But the Bible says clearly that that is not what brings people to repentance. People are brought to repentance by the good goodness of God. And I discussed it in part one, that the goodness of God is not sitting in a church or sitting in a Bible study or sitting in any church community that will lie to you about the reality of sin, that will not tell you what sin is, how destructive it is, how dangerous it is to the human being. Sin is destructive to all humanity. Sin is not a special category where it's destructive to Christians, but then not so destructive to people in the world. In this channel, I basically make no distinction for, for the most part between people who are saved and people who are not saved, simply because the prophecies of the master's voice are for humanity. If you are of a mother and a father of human origin, 
These prophetic words affect you. These prophetic words deal with you. The only reason that they are of sharper interest to the church of Jesus Christ is because we already have a fundamental understanding and knowledge that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is going to return one day. And what's one of the things that Jesus is going to do when he returns? The Lord is going to judge sin. So if I can give an analogy, and this analogy is very real world, so please understand this. Jesus hates sin. He is not going to tolerate it. The end of sin, as we have heard, the wages that sin will pay anyone who indulges and continues in it is death. It will be spiritual death usually at first, meaning that your desire for spiritual things, your desire for God, your desire for holiness and righteousness is definitely going to go down. You're going to struggle to want to read the Bible. You're going to struggle to want to pray. You're going to struggle to care about or be interested in godly things if you have or are tolerating sin in your life. But after a while, sin has this ability and hardening effect on the heart. You will get tired of fighting against sin. This is not a prediction that I'm making. This is a fact because this is one of the things that sin does. It hardens people. And when you become hardened, sin begins to lead you into alternative mindsets where you start to feel that why should you keep struggling and striving against this issue? If this issue doesn't want to leave you alone, why not just lay back and swim and soak in the issue? This is the thinking of demonic powers affecting the mind of the one who is sinning. You begin to feel in a way that you are the victim of God. You actually begin to feel as if God is making you suffer, as if why is God stressing you out in, in this holiness business and this righteousness business, and it's just too much. And so we begin to seek comfort somewhere else. It's like a baby that is struggling to walk. After a while, they get frustrated and they sit on their backsides and they begin to make these little sounds like, why should I? Why should I? I don't even understand how this works. And the parent has to coax the child to continue standing up. Why? Because the parent understands that this crawling to walking phase is natural. It is part of growth. And so our cheerleader is the word of God. Our cheerleader is the Bible. Our cheerleader is the presence of the Holy Spirit, who the Bible says as one of his ministries will convict us of sin. But how can the Holy Spirit convict us in the midst of a prevalent church culture, which just means a widespread, um, a widespread way of thinking? How can the Holy Spirit successfully convince us and convict us that sin is bad if more and more of the church are beginning to ascribe to different mindsets that I have already addressed in recent videos? One of those mindsets is, it's too hard. One of those mindsets is, you don't understand my struggle. One of those mindsets is, don't judge me. Don't judge me is having one of the greatest revivals of its day. We are coming to think in the church culture today that saying that sin is sin is judgment. But God is the one who judges, as in the word judged used there is talking about 
weighing something, knowing all its parts, and then making a final determination on it. So God is going to pick up each person and weigh them and say, this is an unripe and a rotten watermelon, and then throw it away. That's judging and sentencing. Or God will say, this is a well-developed and fruitful watermelon. I receive this. That's judging and passing a sentence, righteous or unrighteous. We, however, are told by God to judge with all righteous judgment. What does that mean? This means that we are able to determine by the external factors in a person's life, if this person is walking in righteousness or unrighteousness, and it is our charge from the word of God to speak to those that we see overtaken in trespass or those who are struggling with sin. We speak to them in love. We speak to them as one who are careful for the souls of our brothers and our sisters, our brother's keeper. And we say to them, if you continue in this way, the Lord will judge this. So the analogy that I want to give is one that came to me when I was young in the faith and I've always kept it, I've always ascribed to it. And it is basically this. We have an understanding that the Lord Jesus Christ does not tolerate sin. Jesus does not tolerate sin. He does not like sin. He will not fellowship with sin. The Bible tells us very clearly in 1 John chapter 1 that God is light and he is walking in the light. So if we want to have fellowship with God, we have to walk in the light where he is. It says that if we walk in darkness but claim to have fellowship with God, we are liars and the truth is not in us. So that's a very large part of the body of Christ today. Having sin in their lives and then claiming Abba Daddy is walking with them and he knows my heart. That's another one of the camps. We have sin in our lives. We are not working and striving to break the sin and to cast the spirits that compel the sin in us out of our lives. We just say, oh, you know, but God knows my heart. God does indeed know the human heart. The human heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. That is what God says about our hearts. So if the excuse is God knows our heart, the truth is yes, he absolutely does. And when it's time to judge, God will judge. Now, if sin is something that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come and judge and then cast into the lake of fire, think of it like this. If sin is a popsicle stick inside you, and you as a popsicle don't do your best to melt off that stick so that when Jesus comes to lay hold of sin, to cast it into the lake of fire along with Satan and the fallen angels and all the creatures, if you are still attached to that popsicle stick, you will be judged along with the sin. So if it's adultery, masturbation, if it's looking at unholy images, if it is um, being a backbiter, if it is being a gossip, if it is being one who spreads chaos and causes destruction in families, if it is being one who is a talebearer and tells stories that gets other people fired because you want their job or you want something they have, if it is covetousness, if it is anything like that, when the Lord comes to judge these, his familiar enemies, the ones that he led captive and put to an open shame, on his cross, if those things are found to be dwelling in you or dwelling with you, you along with them shall be judged. 
So it is necessary for us to understand that we must loose ourselves from the trap of sin and strive against sin like a gazelle. I said in video one that we are not supposed to be living lives whereby we are constantly being oppressed by sin or we are constantly in this ongoing five-year, eight-year battle with sin. That is not what it's supposed to be like. The Lord says that he has given us weapons that are mighty through God to pulling down strongholds. That means that we are supposed to correctly by the spirit of God through prayer or by hearing teachings like this one, diagnose what the issue is. And then we are supposed to, with the help of Google and your Bible, look for the verses that address those sins. You make a list of those verses and then you put them aside and you begin to confess sin. So we will go into confession of sin and how to do it and how to repent. But first, I just want to say that because sin has been set aside by the, more, by the modern church, because we no longer want to talk about sin, because we no longer want to confront sin, because many of the people who have been charged by God to confront sin are caught up in the sin. There is a reason that a lot of pastors do not address sexual sin in their churches, and that's because they are struggling with lust themselves. They are struggling with staring at the back of the choir director's dress. They are struggling with staring at the back of the choir director's suit. Many people in positions of leadership are being wrestled successfully by sin. And what happens to the detriment of the entire church is the pastor's witness is like a lamp being turned down. So it's turned down in effectiveness. It, it's turned down in the ability of the Holy Spirit to convict you. Because the Holy Spirit does not want to dwell in a dirty house, the Holy Spirit withdraws from a house that is becoming steadily filled with demons, steadily filled with ideas, steadily filled with, but why, why should we not care about UFOs? Because they're coming to save us and steadily filled with false doctrine, steadily filled with false prophecy. Please hear me. Unrighteousness is one of the things that is listed in Romans chapter one is being undiscerning. Being undiscerning is simply when you cannot even tell when you are on a channel or listening to a sermon that is filled with new age teaching, filled with borderline witchcraft beliefs, filled with false teaching, false doctrine, false prophecy, you cannot even tell the difference. The Bible calls that being undiscerning, and that is one of the list of the sins in Romans chapter one. So let us find out what sin is. Sin is the enemy of righteousness. Sin is the enemy of holiness. Sin is, in a simple definition, breaking the laws of God to substitute them with doings that follow after what the doer wants. So there's lots of fancy, fancy explanations that have become extremely entrenched in modern day Christianity, especially here in the United States. Uh, sin is missing the mark. Sin is, is this and that. It, it's so romanticized. The fact is that when you're sinning, you're doing what you want and you are flaunt, flaunting God's laws. You are flouting God's laws. You come up against the boundary fence of what God says, do not do this, and you decide, you know what boundary fence? I have other plans. She looks too good to pass up. He's too good to pass up. I'm on holiday in um, Greece, or I'm on holiday. My husband will never know. I'm not passing up this opportunity. I got married too young, and I don't know what other men are like. Sin is basically coming up against the boundary fence of God that is operating in love, 
and compassion and goodness to keep us from things that disrespect God and that harm us and that harm others. And we decide that we will break through this boundary fence and we will establish a new boundary. That boundary is called doing what I want, doing what I feel. That is sin. You substitute the law of God for the law of self. If anyone is telling you anything else, that is just romanticized storytelling so that you can be asleep in your sins. And then the only time you will wake up from those sins is when the majestic one, Christ Jesus, appears to judge with all righteous judgment, followed by sentencing. And so let us go to the book of Romans chapter one, which is one of the most comprehensive listings of sin and what it is that we have ever found, that I, I have ever found in the scripture. And so um, Romans chapter, just a moment, please. Romans chapter one, verse 20, all the way to verse 32. For since the creation of the world, his invisible characteristics are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I'm going to read and paraphrase this so that it can go faster explaining as I go what I'm saying or what the word of God is saying. It says that since the world was created, the invisible traits that tell us that there is a God, the creation, the animals, the sea, the sky, and everything else around us are clearly visible and are pointing to a creator, his external power and his God said, Godhead, so that everyone who says there is no God has no excuse because these characteristics of God are all around us and can be understood without language. A person doesn't need to understand English or French or anything to know that there is a God because things like the sea and the sky and the creation exist in all parts of the world. And then it says, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God and they were not thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So this scripture is talking very clearly about the process through which sin enters. When people do not glorify God as creator, so you're a person, you don't believe that there's a God, you don't care if there's a God, what does God have to do with you? Or you're a person, you know that there is God, but you are not glorifying him, meaning that you do not spend time using your mouth as an instrument to lift God up above your struggles, above your problems, above what you think, above what you feel, above all the movements of the ebb and flow in society that you want to support. We're going to talk about how part of sin is supporting things that God does not support and how that can be put on your life account as sin. It says that if you don't glorify God and if you're not a thankful person, your mind can become darkened. So it says that you can become futile in your thoughts, meaning that you will begin to entertain thoughts that are not profitable. You're a person, God has blessed you with the covenant of marriage. You have a wife, you have a husband, but you are not thankful to have this gift. You are criticizing the person that you are married to. You are constantly comparing them to Dave down the street who bought Margie this and he hasn't bought you this. You are constantly comparing your wife to your high school sweetheart who was 130 pounds with the perfect proportions and things like that. You do not practice thankfulness for the home that you have or whatever it is that God has given you, married, single, working, unemployed. There is always something to thank God for and glorify him as God as you are 
in the waiting room of life, waiting for God to give you something else. The Bible says then that it's possible for thinking to become futile. There are many Christians who exhibit futile thinking. They say that they're born again and then they pray and then they will say something like, but is God even hearing my prayers? Is God even there? There is no point in being in this faith without the fundamental understanding that never changes that Hebrews 11, I think, and 6 says, those who come to God must know that he is, comma, and that he is a rewarder. If you are in this faith and yet you are questioning the entire basis of this faith, which is, is there even God? Is God even listening? If God is not listening, then why are you praying? Who are you talking to if you have lost the fundamental understanding that God is always there. He is not compelled to show himself. This is part of the fleshliness of Christianity today. The curtains have to blow when we are praying. We need to see a little confirmation sign. We need to see a special group of numbers. Someone needs to say something to us within the next 15 minutes after we pray so we can say, oh, confirmation, God was there. And yet maturity of faith is exhibited in men like Abraham and Moses who would receive a word from God and then God doesn't show up until 10 years later or 25 years later in the case of Abraham to fulfill the word. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That is righteousness. Actually knowing that the God of this faith exists. Unrighteousness is entertaining futile thoughts like, is he even there? This is different from when you sometimes have prayed a long time and God has not answered the prayer. But there are people who actually question the reality of God and yet they say they are in the faith. This is unrighteousness and all unrighteousness is sin. And so it says, Confessing that they were wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of, an inter of the incorruptible God, turning it into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. So this now is talking about the false religions that actually have elephants with multiple horns, and I mean multiple uh, tusks or uh, multiple armed gods and all these effigies that we now see in other religions, the Lord is addressing it and saying that part of unrighteousness, part of sin is taking an incorruptible God that cannot be perceived with the eyes or the ears that easily unless he chooses to reveal himself and building to worship idols and creatures that reflect what the creator created. And so it says, God gave them over to uncleanness, to follow the lusts of their hearts, and to dishonored, dishonor their bodies among themselves, for they exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So people create these effigies, they create um, even images that commemorate the Nephilim and the other fallen when they were here. There's worship of angels that is actually even pervasive in modern Christianity today. There are quite a few Christians who will sleep and dream of numbers and then jump on the internet and go to angel websites, um, angel number websites to come and try and find out what the numbers mean. And all of this is mixing the unholy with the holy, mixing the profane with what is clean. And that is sin because God does not accept mixture. And so it says that when we have gone through this process, what is the process? 
We will not accept who God is. We will not accept God's sovereignty. We will not accept that even his invisible attributes, such as the creation around us, is testament to God. We begin to go off track in our thinking. For many people, it is because they do not have secure gates of the mind and secure gates of the heart. And I was speaking about that, that people will let their eyes rove as they see people in the street. And then they will begin to think, oh, she is handsome or she has, I mean, he is handsome or she has a great body. And they will let their minds wander almost like a fishing hook in the water of random thinking. And Satan is a master manipulator. Satan is a master master brothers and sisters of the open door so all you need to do is have these doors open in your heart or your mind for a short period but for some people this becomes a consistent habit of wandering and wandering in the mind you go and get certain books and start reading them you go and get certain movies and start watching them they're things that easily Open the gates of the mind, open the gates of the eyes, open the gates of the heart, and the enemy will exploit that. It says that thinking becomes futile. You begin to think useless thoughts that do not profit, and the heart becomes the heart of a fool and goes dark. And then he goes on to say that uncleanness comes in and lusts of the heart and dishonoring the body among themselves. So this is now your fornication. This is now your adultery. This is you dishonoring your body through masturbation. I have spoken that many people in church have been given the impression that this is okay. This is not okay. Sexual um, sexual intimacy is between a man and a woman. If you are a man with no woman there, it is off limits to you. If you are a woman with no man there, it is off limits to you. It takes two people to engage in this act that God create, created. If there is no second person there, as the Lord said in the sin series, that many people will sin and break his laws by stirring up passions in themselves, perhaps through what they're watching or what they're reading. And he said that after that, you are now left with no choice but to finish this unholy act because you have stirred up yourself. And then it goes on to say that for this reason, because people do this, they exchange what God calls truth for the lie. What are the lies? If you're lonely, you have the right to please yourself. If you want a relationship, you can have one. And if it leads to sex, many people will then use this lie of, if it is consensual and you love each other, it is okay. There are a ton of people shacking up and playing house and calling it being married. Understand that the one who co-signs on marriage is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not you and your girlfriend or you and your live-in partner of 40 years. You're simply living in an extended time of fornication, an extended time of sin. And the Lord does not co-sign on that, no matter what modern thinking may tell us. It says then that God will give people over to vile passions and women will exchange the natural use of their body for what is against nature. So here in the United States, there is this interesting practice of females going out and getting marriage licenses and marrying themselves. I'm sure that people from other nations are just staring. But yes, you can find this on the internet. And women are marrying women. 
Likewise, also the men left the natural use of the woman and burned in lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful. And they received in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And I will share here just another dream that the Lord gave me had a dream that I had a neighbor who was um, of a same-sex persuasion, a man, and this is not actually the case in real life, but in this dream, I had this neighbor, and he was constantly hearing me in my apartment, uh, preaching the word of God and speaking about these things, and he saw me outside one day, and he said, Madam, a word with you, and he told me that he was tired of hearing the things that I was saying coming through the wall, and I told him peacefully that those things will come through the wall forever, so you will either change or move. And he was upset, and he walked away. And then later, I came into the apartment building, and I went into the common space, for, for instance. Let's say there was a lounge there where there was a TV, and this man had put on an unclean movie. He had put on a pornographic movie featuring male to male. And there were other men there of a straight persuasion. There were other men there. They were playing pool, and they were reading magazines, and they were hanging out and doing guy stuff. And because this man was sitting in the TV space and watching this movie, after a while, simply because it was sex, the other men began to look out of the corner of their eye. And when I came into this area, I walked over to the, to the TV, and I yanked the movie out, and I told him, you will never watch movies like this ever again. You will never watch it, and you will never cause other people to be interested in it. And he looked at me, and he rolled his eyes, and he said, yes, mother. But the Lord showed me in the man's heart that he almost wanted to cry. And the, man, the Lord showed me that in this man's heart, along this progressive journey that led him into that lifestyle, no one had ever told him what is good and what is evil. Please notice that I didn't say what is right and what is wrong. Right and wrong are human constructs. And the reason human beings love right and wrong is because you can move the notch of right and wrong however you like. So if something is being called wrong, you can just slide it the way we've done with same-sex life and the way we're doing now with pedophilia and the way we've done with abortion. You can simply slide whatever human beings call wrong until you get it to wherever feels right for you. So it's like an adjustable radio. But in the kingdom of God, the construct is actually good and evil. God made the world and everything that he made, if you read Genesis chapter one, he called it good. When Satan entered into the garden, he brought evil with him because that is his nature. So Satan didn't bring wrong. Satan brought evil into the garden with him, just like he attempted to bring evil into heaven. And so God was showing me that in this man's heart, no one had ever berated him. No one had spoken up in his journey, when he began to think, well, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not supposed to be with a girl. Every time I ask them out, they say no. Or he had been struggling with these feelings however long he had been struggling with them. No one had ever told him that there was a boundary fence and that there was danger if he would attempt to move the fence and set up his new boundary line. And so when I spoke to him sharply and I took away his video, what I saw was this man's heart was pierced. This is the process called conviction. And most people do not like to feel that feeling. And most people cannot tell the difference between conviction 
and condemnation. In fact, most people, when you speak to them the way I speak on this channel, they mistake conviction of sin for condemnation and say, oh, you're judging us and you're making us feel bad. I have no interest in people feeling bad. What I have an interest in is that I hate to see the human being created like this, bent over as a slave to sin. I hate to see the, the glory of the Lord Jesus, which is reflected in male and female, bent over with a chain around its neck being led like a horse or a pony or a donkey with sin holding the chain and Satan dictating to sin how to drag us. That is why I speak by the spirit of the Lord the way I do. Condemnation is what comes from the devil. Condemnation is that thing that eats you up inside after the sin. Condemnation is like a washing cycle of remembering your past sins from 1970 and 1981 and 2004 and 2014, and you cannot get over them. It is like a cycle that plays in you, and that is the devil. He constantly replays the crime. Even things that you have asked God for forgiveness for, the devil keeps replaying it to keep you feeling guilty. That is not what conviction does. Conviction comes and says, hey, you will not read these magazines anymore. You will not go on this website anymore. You will not dress yourself in about two handkerchiefs worth of clothing because you need to go out there to hear people saying, oh, that's hot. Oh, yes, she's definitely, she's definitely a queen. Conviction tells you that what you are doing is not good. It is unrighteousness. And it comes to give you a shake so that you can realize that Jesus is coming to judge all unrighteousness. And should unrighteousness be found holding you, guess what? When Jesus says unrighteousness for sexual immorality and naked dressing into hell you go, every person who is being held by that unrighteousness will have no choice but to follow it to its judgment. So conviction basically is the action of the Holy Spirit telling you, do not let this be you. And, say, and it says here, because they did not like to keep God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, a reprobate mind, it is called in the King James Version, to do all the things that are not fitting. So now here is a list of sins. Being filled with all unrighteousness. I could close the Bible right here. All unrighteousness covers all the other things that I am then going to read. Sexual immorality, have spoken on that at length and so I will not go into that. Wickedness, wickedness is telling lies so that your neighbor gets evicted. It is telling lies so that someone gets fired from their job because you want the job. Wickedness is here is an interesting example that the Lord brought to my mind before I made this video. So wickedness is something that we are all aware of. People like to pretend like they do not know what wickedness is, but even small children know what wickedness is. So imagine you buy donuts, artis artisan donuts, the nicely made ones with rare flavors, and everybody has a little bit of that at dinner, and then you put it in the fridge, and your little four-year-old, who really was into the passion fruit one, goes and creeps into the fridge later, 
and you hear the sound or maybe the dog runs into the room to let you know that the donut thief is active and you come into the kitchen and find your little four-year-old standing there and getting donuts and you say to her, Michaela, what are you doing? And then she says, I don't know. And you look at her and she has donut donut frosting around the mouth and frosted hands. And you say, sweetheart, tell mommy or tell daddy, what are you doing? And she continues to lie. And maybe you say, tell mommy the truth. This small child is able to be convicted of sin. She has absolutely no language capability and she barely understands what is going on. But inside her, the human soul is aware I have done wrong and mommy is asking me about that wrong and now I don't want to own up to it. And so she starts crying. You see, conviction of sin always brings sorrow. But as I will go into, for I will surely go into the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, there are two types of sorrow. There is godly sorrow that leads us on the proper path to repentance. And then there is worldly sorrow, which is just the feeling of feeling sorry for ourselves because we have been caught and because we are being asked difficult questions. So little Michaela starts crying because she is being asked repeatedly why she's in the kitchen at the late night and crying. So she was trying to answer and trying to lie, but because the parents would not let up, she then resorts to crying, which is the natural feeling of conviction. This is where 99.99999% of parents go wrong and raise their daughters and sons wrongly. They will kneel down and say, oh, honey, that's okay. Mommy bought the donuts. The donuts, you can have donuts anytime you want. If Michaela is my child, I'm going to stand there and I'm going to watch Michaela cry because I understand what goes on in the human soul and spirit. I understand that Michaela is crying because Michaela is convicted of wrongdoing. I respect God enough to know that if I put myself in the midst of Michaela's learning process, which is that in mommy's house, this mommy, we do not steal and we do not tell lies because people who steal and tell lies at a young age will grow up into adults who are responsible for Enron and crashing the economy. So I am not going to put myself in the midst of what the Holy Spirit is doing in Michaela's heart. I will let Michaela cry until Michaela has no more energy for avoiding the conversation. And then I will explain to Michaela what she has done wrong and lead Michaela in understanding that we do not do these things because God does not like these things. When Michaela feels the pain of how it feels to be the cute donut thief, she will be less likely to repeat this behavior. This is how we raise godly children unto Christ. But the majority of us will make a quick YouTube or Instagram video and then hashtag it, she's so cute. And this is why we then grow women who, when they come into conflict with life, they cry. When they get into marriages and their husbands are right in the argument and they are wrong and they know that they are wrong, to avoid saying sorry, and apologizing and asking for forgiveness, they cry. This is how little manipulators are raised. This is the process of sin. So it is rare that I will do videos like this, but because God is pouring all this information, this in-depth observance into my heart, I will be faithful to share it. So wickedness is known by everyone, even small children, so no one can really claim that they do not know what it is. The sin of covetousness, wanting what someone else has, whether it is someone else's husband, someone else's position at work, someone else's nice body shape, it doesn't matter. Maliciousness, 
This is a type of jealousy that is expressed in cruel speech, cruel actions, um, being unkind to people and talking to people in a way that destroys their self-worth or doing things on purpose to harm people. Maliciousness actually covers the entire world of the occult, the e entire world of witchcraft, because the occult and, the, and witchcraft are basically focused on harming others either for sport or for fun or for control or to gain power over them. So we, we might hear the word malice, and now that I've explained how deep it can go, people are thinking, oh, I did not know that. Deceit, being full of envy, murders, strife. People who, the minute they join the situation, the minute they enter the chat, peace leaves. Most offices have people like this. Sometimes the manager, the one with power, is the one who causes strife and makes everyone hate their job. Evil-mindedness. Evil-mindedness, again, is one of those broad categories that covers a whole range of things. They are whisperers. This is gossip. They are backbiters. This is people who go behind others to undermine the position of others. People who whisper to girlfriends and tell them, did you know your boyfriend is doing this? Because they want to see the couple break up. They want to see the marriage break up. They want to see the company break up. Haters of God. This is those who exalt themselves above God. This is the transhumanist crowd. This is the let's bring the Nephilim back from the grave crowd. This is even atheists. And an atheist might say, I don't hate God. I don't believe in God. You definitely do hate God because you are saying that a personage who exists does not. If that is not the definition of hate, which is to tell someone who's there, I don't see you. You're not there. Then I don't know what is. It says violent, proud, boasters, those who invent evil things. Right here, for all those who may say they don't understand many of the things I cover on this channel, inventors of evil things. This is the harm that causes harm. This is the social credit score that is going to be part of the Great Reset. This is so many things that I have covered. Bible readers do not have to say in detail what the thing is. When you hear inventors of evil things, that, that can basically cover so many of the things that are coming. It says those who are undiscerning. I spoke of that earlier. You can't tell the difference between a real pastor and a fake one. You can't tell the difference between a real prophet and someone who's just basically reading the news and giving you their opinion. Unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. This is people who cannot forgive, people who cannot show love, people who cannot show kindness, people who cannot show mercy. And those, this is one of the most dangerous classes of sin. It is verse 32. Those who know the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things, what things? All the things that I have listed, that those who practice such things deserve death, yet not only do the same, but also approve of those who do. So this last category of sin is saying there are people who know what God calls righteous. There are people who know what God calls do, good. And they will see other people doing the opposite to what God calls good. And yet it says that they will either join in and do those things themselves. So this is speaking definitely to saved people. This last category is for saved people. For unsaved people do not know what the righteous judgment of God is. They do not know what God calls good. They live according to the world standards. But it's talking here of people who know what God calls good, but do against it 
They do not do what God calls do they, good. They do what God calls evil. And then it also says they approve of those who practice them. So this is everyone with a child that has decided to enter the alternative world of sexuality. And then you're not doing it yourself as the mother. You're not doing it yourself as the brother. But then you're saying, you know, we love you no matter what. Please understand that the only person who is capable of offering full knowledge, unconditional love is the Lord. But when you tell people you will love them, even in immorality, you will love them even if they're covetous, you will love them even if, you're, if they're wicked or proud or boasters. The Bible says that you fall into the category of those who know that those that do evil deserve death, but you approve of them who practice them. And so the last thing I will look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let us go to that. And Paul is saying here from verse 8 to 11, may the Lord help my lips. He says, even though I know I made you sorry with the letter I sent, I do not regret it, even though I do regret it. For I perceive that that same letter made you sorry, but only for a little while. Now I rejoice, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, which is not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, and what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So I will go instantly into what the Apostle Paul is saying, for I have shared this many times in videos, and there are two videos concerning that on the Master's Voice, and I will link them below. Paul is saying that I wrote you a letter. And what was in that letter was so well-spoken, so truthful, and so sharp that it made you sorry. But it didn't only make you sorry, it made you repent. And I just shared the example of little Michaela. You see, if we are caught in trespass, if we are caught doing what God calls evil, breaking God's laws, but we only feel sorry, we have not repented, and the sin is upon us. And many people, because they do not know how to repent, Satan continues to replay their sin. He continues to replay that child that they de decided not to have. They continue to replay the lies that they told at work to get the promotion, or whatever it is that they have done or are now doing because they are stuck in a cycle of sin. And so he is saying here, Apostle Paul is saying here that if you're only made sorry, you have not completed the journey to repentance. I spoke of little Michaela and that if I were to see her crying, I would understand as a spiritually, a spiritually awake mom that the child is on a journey to learning what repentance is and that no matter how I love her, I am not God and I am not supposed to interrupt that process because if she does not complete the process, she will remain stuck in a cycle of 
of sin that she will grow up into repeating it over and over again. So Paul is saying, I'm happy that you read my letter and I'm happy that my letter made you sorry. I'm also glad that the kind of sorry you were led to repentance. So worldly sorrow is feeling sorry for yourself when you are caught in sin. The affair has been uncovered and you're ashamed and embarrassed and usually you react with anger and then you start making excuses. This marriage doesn't make me happy. You don't pay any attention to me or you're always working, Bob. You're never home, Frank. People find excuses because they feel convicted. But if convicted is conviction is allowed to do its work, we will sorrow in a godly way and not a worldly way. Worldly sorrow leads to death. What is the death he is speaking of? He is saying that when you sorrow in the worldly way and you only feel bad about what has happened, and usually in this ally culture world, people gather and say, you're not the first person to have an affair, Hannah. Don't feel so bad about it. Eventually, you downgrade the destructiveness of sin. Eventually, you don't think that sin is as bad as it really is. And you justify yourself and you say, you know, I'm not the first. And besides, he had it coming. He had an affair when we first got married or he was with his ex-girlfriend two weeks before the wedding. You will find a place to make the sin less. And Paul is saying that you may do that for a temporary moment, only for a while, but the sin remains upon you. And let us go back to the founding premise of sin. The wages of sin is death. So worldly sorrow keeps you under the condemnation of the sin. But Paul says that there is a, a sorrow that will lead you to repent. Godly sorrow, brothers and sisters, please understand, is not caused by you thinking about yourself. That is the root to ending up trapped in the sin. Godly sorrow is when you are sorry that you have wronged God. Godly sorrow is when you are sorry that you broke God's laws, that you caused God pain, that you did wrong to God, and then you are cut in the heart about that. When Adam was caught in the garden and God asked him questions, Adam defended himself. He was sorry, that's why he and his wife were hiding. But when they were given an opportunity to have a conversation with God about it, he said, you know what? It's the defect in the woman that you gave me. She gave me the fruit. And when Eve was questioned, she did the same thing. She said, it is the defective and deceptive nature of the snake that we found here. He is the reason that I sinned. And so both of them did not fall upon repentance with godly sorrow, which is God, we're sorry, because no matter what the snake said to us, and no matter what's going on in this garden, you did tell us not to touch this fruit, and we did. This is why God loved David, because David said in Psalm 51, against you only, God, have I sinned. Against you only, God, have I done what is unrighteous in your sight. David was a man who knew how to massage the heart of God when he did wrong. And this is why the Bible says that God saw David as a man after his own heart, tenderhearted and always willing to confess his sin with tears and asking God for forgiveness. 
When you have an opportunity and are confronted about your sin and you're only thinking about yourself and how you feel and how no one should say anything to you and it's your struggle and nobody really knows the pathway that led you there, guess what? It's not a mystery. The Bible talks about the pathway that led you there in Romans chapter seven and in Romans chapter one. Sin is a struggle natural to the human body, but as God said to sin, to, to Cain, you are supposed to rule over it. And so Apostle Paul is saying here that when you are sorry in the right way, not for yourself and how you feel bad, when you cry like little Michaela and work through those tears without the church community jumping in and telling you, oh, don't feel bad, don't feel bad. We love you, we love you. This is what people do today. The pastor is exposed for sleeping with some underage person. The pastor is exposed for having 742 affairs. And then everyone is like, we love you, pastor. We're all human. Aren't we all human? This is people with the false prophets. The false prophets will lie to people, lie to people, and then God will expose the lie. And in that moment, the false prophet has an opportunity to confess and to retire from the false prophecy business. But the money's too good and the clout is even better. And besides, the false prophet doesn't feel bad because the false prophet's loving followers are like, we understand and we love you and people always attack true vessels of God. And so the false prophecy hamster wheel keeps turning. The false pastor prophecy wheel keeps turning. The false leader wheel keeps turning until the day God is going to show up with an ax and smash it out of existence. And I have always said it and I will continue to say it until as the Lord says, People will see the evidences of how he will rip these people out of the ground like green onions. And the United States, especially, he said, will be utterly silent. And this ripping I'm talking about, it does not have a good end. It has the kind of end with the slow singing and the flower bringing. But people never listen until the time that the Lord, who is always behind Celestial, See, the Lord is always behind this face. When the Lord removes this face and begins to deal with this nation face to face by himself, that is when people will realize that every time I sat here, I was giving myself over wholly to the Lord's word so that people who hear in the beginning will not have to feel when he removes me and comes to deal with this nation hands on. And so, he says that godly sorrow will produce the kind of repentant, repentance leading to salvation. So this is two types. Godly sorrow for sin will lead to the kind of repentance that leads a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. When you properly hear teaching that convicts you, teaching that confronts the lifestyle that you may be in now, you will realize that you were not created to be God and Lord of your life and you will bow your knee in submission to the higher God and Lord, Jesus Christ, and give your life and your submission over to him. But godly sorrow will also produce the kind of repentance that will save you. It will save you from losing your marriage. It will save you from having your family destroyed. It will save you from ending up with a disease in your body because you may be out there in the world doing things. Repenting will lead to a saving, a salvation. And he says that is not something to be regretted. So Paul is actually saying that when you're going through that process where you are feeling really bad for your sins, you should embrace it. 
You should not feel bad for yourself and think, oh, I feel so bad when I listen to these videos and I feel so ashamed. No, you should rejoice. You should say, I am on the way out of the devil's cage. The way I feel bad, I am making the journey out of captivity. I am leaving you forever, Satan. I feel bad because someone is telling me what I'm doing wrong and I'm here to learn how to do things right. I'm about to break up with you, masturbation. I'm about to break up with you, consistently telling lies. There are people who tell so many lies that they are unable to distinguish real life from the false world and the false narrative that they have built. You need to repent of such things. So Paul is saying that when you sorrow, you will repent. And when you repent, you will be saved. And that is not something to be regretted. But if you sorrow according to how the world sorrows, which is feeling bad for a moment and then justifying yourself until you feel quite good again and you think, well, that wasn't so bad. That is not corrective behavior of the spirit. And the end is death. You will go back to that sin. And now he says, because you sorrow in the godly manner, it will make you diligent. Diligence means that after you feel that horrible feeling that goes with cheating on your partner, you will never want to feel it again. And so you will not do that again. You will become very watchful over your, what triggers you to sin. You will know that if you had alcohol problems in the past, you are not to go back to the alcohol groups. When people start talking about things like happy hour after work, this is where you tell people it's my turn to babysit my girlfriend's plants and then you leave. So you will become watchful. You will become like a foot soldier watching over your life, learning your trigger points. As an adult, we have to learn our trigger points. It is part of maturity and growing up in Christ. And then it says, what clearing of yourselves? So it means that you will want to exonerate yourself. This is different from making excuses. True repentance always involves going to God and being honest about what the issue is. Many people want to go to God and hide the fact that they're doing certain things and then speak to God in parables. Oh Lord, forgive me of my sin. Please understand that when you were sinning, the eye of the Lord saw everything that you did, saw all the expressions that you made, saw the lust in your heart before you did it, while you were doing it, and then the sadness you felt after it. God already knows what you did. So if there's one place that you can go and clear yourself and be truthful and say, God, I like to do this and this and this. I do it because it feels good. I do it because I'm still single. I do it because everybody else is doing it. I do it because there's social pressure. I have to pretend that I'm making more money than I do. I'm part of the false life, um, false life um, perpetrators on Instagram. I'm pretending to be what I'm not, and I hate it. I hate the way it makes me feel, but I'm still doing it. Please help me, God. You go and you confess honestly to God what you are doing, why you are doing it, and that you cannot stop doing it so that he can remove that sin from you. And then it says what indignation and what fear. Godly fear. The fear of the Lord is necessary to keep us from sin. If you don't fear God, 
It comes from being in a church culture that basically tells people that places like hell do not exist. Hell does exist. If you have no fear of the Lord, there's nothing to hold you back from doing what you want because you see yourself and God on an equal footing. He's God and you're second God and nothing will happen to you if you occasionally go above real God. There's no consequences. So you have no fear of the Lord. And this is why many people end up in sin. Indignation is when you realize who you are in Christ and you realize that you're not meant to be laid up in random sheets every other weekend just because the girl offered you to. It's when you realize as a woman that there is more to femalehood than trying to control your father, brother, husband, and that there are other expressions of womanhood that do not need to have your treasures on display so that you receive validation. Indignation is any time a person realizes this is the temple of the living God and I do not need to be filling it with Qualudes, Valium, Prozac, or other drugs. This is where God lives. How dare the devil try to write graffiti on this temple? How dare the devil try to bring this temple into destruction? I rise up and I take up the weapons of my warfare to cut these chains, to fight the devil, to fight the spirit husband. How dare a demon think that it can sleep with a human being? And where is the indignation? Where is the upset? of the pastors? Where is the upset of the person who is going through this? That godly indignation, that upset, you use it in your repentance process. It says what vehement desire and what zeal. This is maintaining. After you've been set free or after you're going through the process, what are you going to be desiring after that? Are you going to slowly slide back into the life? Or are you going to ask God to fill you now with zeal and passion? for a holy life. God, I didn't like those bitter tears that I felt when I was exposed at the bank for all the money that I was stealing and setting aside and all the things that I've done. I didn't like the feeling when it finally caught up with me. I want to be diligent. I want to be zealous in watching over myself to make sure that I don't end up there again. And so he says at the end of this process, in all things, you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Repentance is not making excuses for yourself. And I also have to say to women, repentance is not crying. Repenting is not crying. Tears is not repentance. Tears is just evidence of the pain that we feel when we are caught at last, when we can no longer run because God decides to show us goodness and God finally allows those text messages to be discovered by our, our spouse. God finally exposes that we cheat on exams and that's how we've basically gone through high school and we were thinking it would continue through college and then they caught us plagiarizing and they basically threw us out of school. And now we have it on our permanent record that we steal published papers from other people. And now we're sitting and we're crying because we know no matter where else we apply, even community college, it will be known that we are a thief. So yes, the tears come because sin has consequences. But God is still telling us through Apostle Paul's words. Apostle Paul commissioned by God to speak on behalf of the Father. He is telling us that the process is not to be regretted. And so I hope it will be understood that Satan is working hard to make 
this temple that we are rejected. Satan is working hard to make God cast away both the church and whoever is trying to come to God, not because God doesn't want to receive people. Satan is working hard to keep us in conditions or get us in conditions that make us rejected to God. So I pray that this this third or fourth in-depth look at what sin is, and what repentance is. If you've been getting the cookie cutter version, which is that, oh, you know, we all sin and we're all human. Guess what? We're all human. It's one of the most useless explanations for sin and for the wrong that we do that I've ever heard in my life. I hear it all the times from Christians. We're all human. Are you saying that it's only now that you realize that God did not create a world of turtles and then send Jesus to die for those turtles? Is it just coming to our mind that being human is not an explanation for the wrong that we do because Jesus also became human and died a human death on the cross and was sinless? What does we're all human mean? We're all human is yet another exit ramp so that we do not have to take responsibility when we commit sin and we do wrong. It's one of those euphemisms. It's one of those sayings that we have that don't actually mean anything. Of course we are human. That's how we are created. That's who Jesus died for. That's who God is interacting with. So when you go to God and tell God that you're doing these things because you're human, what is God supposed to say? I'm so confused right now because I thought you were a giraffe until you sinned. Please have a care for your soul. Have a care for your children's soul. Have a care for your neighbor's soul, your brother's soul, your sister's soul. This is Celestial with the Master's Voice. The Lord bless you. I pray that this teaching will go into the hearts that have been raking themselves, um, trying to find an answer to some things. Getting into sin is a process. So getting out of sin is also a process. Setting up a life that is righteous is not going to happen because we feel bad. Feeling bad is just a function of where you are. It is a function of where you are right now. There is much more that comes after feeling bad. So do not let the condemnation of the devil keep you from arising and saying, I'm going to press through these tears and I'm going to press through this grief and I'm going to press through this guilt that I feel. And I'm going to push right through to get through to the other side where I'm now zealous, where I now have the fear of God, where I now have the godly sorrow that has led me to the process of repenting. And now my soul is saved. Now I've saved myself from this trouble. There are some people who are at the brink of some serious trouble because they keep doing things and they keep thinking that being a child of God means that God is going to give you one more hall pass. The time of hall passes is over. So if you have a care for your soul, if you can see the death rate that is out there, and the Lord said, sin is taking a worthy portion. I read it in part one. Sin is taking a, wor- a worthy portion from among humanity. He said that it's happening so much that even unsaved people have noticed that the death rate is too high. Satan has an agenda. Satan is not going to stop pushing his agenda because people are crying or because people are feeling guilty. It is time to understand the process of repentance. And when you repent properly, the weight leaves you. Be sure to, to read 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. 
It also covers the process of true repentance. When you repent properly, the blood of Jesus dissolves that stain. It doesn't matter if you took another human life, if you're watching this in prison, serving time. You may be serving time as a physical consequence to the life that you took. But God can absolve that sin. God can give you peace concerning what happened. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than sin. This is something in the Christian church. People say they're following God and yet they do not have faith that his blood takes away their sin. What is the point of coming to follow a God you do not trust? A God whose power you are not sure of. If his blood cannot take away your sin, then what is the point of the blood being shed? If it is only able to resolve Michaela's little donut stealing sin, but the blood of Jesus cannot remove the fact that you were once in a same to same relationship. The fact that you have perhaps taken the life of two or three babies. If the blood is not powerful enough, then what is the point of the blood? What is the point of the cross? Let these questions always be in your mind when the devil is tempting you to walk in futility of thoughts and thinking that the blood of Jesus is okay for everybody else's sin, but somehow when it comes to yours, your stain is just a little bit stronger than most people's. That is deception of the mind. That is the devil at work in your thoughts and you need to address it. This business of praying, I'm praying in my heart, I literally do not know who has taught you these things. We pray in our heart when we're among other people, if we're at work, there's a situation going on, obviously you're not supposed to rise up and begin yelling at the top of your voice or even praying audibly. We can be respecters of space. But the idea that you will be in your own home wrestling with issues and then sit quietly on the chaise and pray in your heart, you, you, you just don't understand Satan. You do not even know who that scaly person is that you think that you will confront his action in your heart through quiet in, in heart praying. No, the kingdom suffers violent and the silent do not take anything. It is the violent who arise and take it by force. So God bless you today. Um, may these teachings go to the heart of the matter. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for each and every person who may be struggling. Lord, whatever that stronghold is, Whatever that stronghold, whatever that hold that the devil has, whatever Satan is holding over anyone's head today, Heavenly Father, I raise my voice in the power and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, putting on the full armor of God on myself and whoever I am praying for right now, whoever it may be, Lord, I put the helmet of salvation on their head. I put the breastplate of righteousness upon them, not the righteousness that comes from man, but the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus alone. The belt of truth around the waist, Heavenly Father. I put the sandals of this gospel of peace upon their feet. I put the shield of faith, Almighty God, that quenches the fiery darts of condemnation and attack from the devil. And I lift up the sword of the spirit, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, Father God. And thus arrayed, I stand with this person, making intercession both in my language and in whatever language they speak right now, Father God. And I say, Lord, loose your people from the stronghold of sin. Send angels to break open the jails that are holding members of your body captive to lust, to idolatry, 
to wickedness, almighty God, to playing with things that they shouldn't, to looking at things and listening to things that they shouldn't, to entertaining deception and futility in the mind, whatever it is, almighty God, making excuses for sin in their life. Lord, I confront it right now in the full dressed authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will break the shackles of mind, body, soul, spirit, heart, emotions, and thought life that are holding the church of Jesus Christ bound in slavery to the enemy. I rebuke the spirits that are lording over the human body. I rebuke these demons, almighty God, that have shouldered their way into the house and they have changed the passcode and are now attempting to exalt themselves above what God has called good. For God made Adam and God made Eve and he called them good. Heavenly Father, cover your people in the blood. I soak every person listening in the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray the blood of Jesus Christ over your homes, over your businesses, over your children, over your assets, over your finances. I pray the blood over your minds and the things you think about when you are at home with the enemy accusing and telling you, you are not enough, you are not acceptable. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will drive every unclean spirit from the house. I pray that you will drive every unclean spirit from the house. I pray that you will drive every unclean spirit by the action of piercing arrows into them. I strip off the armor that these spirits are trusting in. And when their chest is laid bare, Lord, let the word of God go into them, piercing them, God, and cutting them asunder. Father God, let the enemies of your church be threshed as fine as grain beneath our feet in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we seal up the house. Father God, I pray that broken and breached walls are rebuilt supernaturally, almighty God, as these your people return from this teaching and go into genuine repentance, not repentance of the flesh, not repentance where they try to lay blame on someone else and say someone else did this to me, that's why I'm like this. That's why I do this. We take ownership of our own sin so that when we confess it, you will take it away from us and you are faithful and just to forgive us, Lord, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, as you have said in 1 John 1 verses 5 to 10. Father, seal up these broken houses. Father, relight these candles and light lamps that have gone off. Father, rekindle love for the word of God, love for truthfulness in the presence of God. Ignite in many of these people the love for godly company. I pray, God, that everywhere the ocean has come in, everywhere marine powers, marine kingdom has come in, everywhere the sea has risen up over your people. Father God, I pray that the east wind that drove away the sea in the book of Exodus will begin to blow over people who are struggling with sexual sin, sexual molestation in their past, sexual abuse done to them, sexual abuse that they have done to others. Unholy appetites, Father God, unholy attractions that they should not have as a man, that they should not have as a woman. God, let the action of the marine kingdom be blown back by the east wind of Jesus Christ's righteousness 
so that this sea will no longer oppress your people and bring distress into their lives. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, I soak every listener in the blood. I plead the blood of Jesus. I set the fire of the Holy Ghost at the four corners of your home so that everything that is not of God will not bear and tolerate that fire. The fire of the Holy Spirit fall in your homes. The fire of the Holy Spirit fall upon you as you are listening to this prayer. The Holy Ghost fire fall upon you and begin to consume those ropes, those evil bindings. As the Bible said, that Sam, Samson broke the cords binding him and it melted like flax in the fire by the power of the Holy Ghost and with fire. Let the cords of addiction, the cords of sexual, sexual lust burning outside of its time. Some of you are supposed to be married, but lust is so much in you that God cannot risk giving a woman to you. God cannot risk giving a man to you because the lust in you will destroy that marriage. Many of you think that being married will contain lust. Lust is a spirit that wars against the flesh. If you cannot contain the lust when you get in marriage, eventually your partner will not be enough for you. You will need someone else. One affair, three affairs, five orgies. That is the action of lust. Lust is not only sexual hunger. Lust is just an inordinate hunger for more, for everything. Lust wants to possess it all, whether it's money, whether it's power. May that fire of lust in you be put out now by the powerful action of the Holy Spirit. May it be doused by a greater fire from the Holy Spirit and burnt out of your very flesh, burnt out of your very vessel. The spirits that have taken up residence in your eyes because of what you look at, I burn them out in the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The spirits that have taken up residence in your hands because of what you do to yourself, what you want to do to children, I burn them out of you. Idle hands, idle mind, I confront you. I confront you now in the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fire of the Lord consume you. God consume every chaff in your people before your people themselves become the chaff of Psalm chapter one, verses five. Because the Bible says that the ungodly will be like chaff that is blown away, that will not be given an opportunity to stand in the judgment of the righteous. Father, let the chaff in them be burned by your fire before they themselves are judged as chaff and are burned in the internal fires of hell. I confront maliciousness. I confront new age. I confront witchcraft. I confront manipulation in male and female, pride in male and female, unforgiveness, spiritual wickedness ruling in the high places of people. Some people's minds are gone to fantasy, completely gone. You can't even focus for 10 minutes in the day because some form of fantasy, some form of drifting mindset is taking you away from the real world. You are struggling to cope and exist in this real world because there's so much pain. 
that you don't want to focus on real life anymore. I confront the spirits controlling that and I command you to go in the name of Jesus at the sound of my voice. Go, go in Jesus name, go. Go, I cast you in the name of Jesus. Go out, go out of the house. Satan, devil, serpent, python, whispering spirit, bringing people to the edge of suicide, whispering demon, squeezing python. I cut you asunder with the sword of grace. I cut you asunder, demon. I cast you out in Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name. I mark this house with the blood. I mark this face, this person's body, this person's temple, this person's house with the blood where you will not cross again. This affliction will not arise a second time. Even if they are a lawful captive, they shall be set free by confession of sin to the Lord Jesus Christ today. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, I set the blood at the doors and windows of the houses of all who will watch this video. We give you thanks, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for having compassion on our weakness. We thank you for showing us kindness, mercy, goodness, forgiveness, understanding. The Bible says he sent his word and he healed them. The word of God does not come to make you argue and fight and, and make excuses for yourself. The word comes to heal you of the sin affliction that has bound you these years. Set them free, almighty God, and let it stand. Let the deliverance stand. Let the breakthrough, let the sickness, let that evil discharge, that evil flow dry up in the mighty name of Jesus and the devil responsible for it be cast out to wander in the dry places. Do not go into anyone else, but wander until the day of judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ upon you unclean and evil spirit. In the mighty name of Christ Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. This is Celestial with the Master's Voice. God bless you, and until I see you again, goodbye.